Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Well, good morning, good morning. This morning, I want to speak directly to believers. And this morning, I want to talk about a dirty, not-so-little secret that can be found among us. For some of you, it happens uh, after a long day. For some of you, it happens after a rough year. For some of you, it happens after a tough life. And it, it takes a, a form in, in a way that is sudden. Suddenly, there appears before us all that's happened and all that's not happened. All that we've done and all that we've not done. It can come out of nowhere. It can come with a mention of a name or a place or a thing. It's a recounting, it's a, a reminding of our failures, of our compromises, of our choices. It's a reminder of harm we've done, the harm we've done to others, the mistakes we've made, the way we've mistreated them, the way we've ignored them or lied to them or deceived them. And the results for us when this appears is guilt and a ton of questions. How could I? Why did I? Then there come the accusations. I've fallen short. I didn't live up to the standard. I didn't do what I should have done. There is very real defeat. There is a very real guilt. And a couple of things begin to happen. Our conscience condemns us and declares us guilty. And then the Word of God, the law of God, indicts us and reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it is a painful, painful experience. Why? Because as believers, we know who God is. As believers, we know God is righteous. And we know that God always lives up to who he is. That with God, there, there is no difference between who he is and what he does. That his motives are always in line with his methods. He always lives up to his own expectations. He always does what he should do. He's righteous. And he's unwavering in his righteousness. And this is frightening. Because we know, both by revelation and by his law implanted in our hearts, that this righteous God, this God who never fails himself, actually requires righteousness of us. We know that he rewards righteousness, but he also punishes unrighteousness. And that is why to a believer's guilt, there is added a sense of defeat as well. And it knocks us to the ground when, when the past comes, when all we didn't do and all we did do and all we, we should have done suddenly appears. It knocks us to the ground. And the spiritual anxiety comes, a sense of inadequacy comes, insecurity comes, and 
then still more questions. Am I, am I really saved? Am, am I really safe? I mean, am I really accepted? Am I really loved? And all I can say to this is welcome to the life of a follower of Jesus because part of following Jesus includes and involves a fight. And whenever that happens in your life or my life, you know you've just been attacked. You know you've just been attacked. Now, in this series, we're looking at the victory that believers can have. The, the victory they can have is they face spiritual battles with evil and supernatural enemies. And Paul's great confidence, as we have seen, is this. The believers can stand firm, that they can choose strength in Christ, that they can be faithful by putting on the whole armor of God. His great concern, as we've seen, is that believers live their lives prepared, that they live their lives ready, and that when they actually find themselves in the battle, that they're able to use the armor well to stand and to stand firm. So I invite you this morning to turn with me once again to Ephesians chapter 6, and we want to look together this morning at verses 14 through 18. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, where Paul, writing to this uh, uh, body, this group of churches in the area of Ephesus, says these words, stand, stand, therefore, and let me tell you how. Stand having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Stand, and as shoes for your feet, stand, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, stand. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Stand. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Stand. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, Father, this morning as we gathered around your word, I'm conscious that what we are about to present and unpack is one of the single greatest truths any believer can wrap their minds and their hearts around. And my heart, Father, is, is that uh, these precious believers might live all of their days ready and able in the midst of battle, the battles that are to come, even the battles that they're in, that they might be well-equipped. So I'm praying, Lord God, that you would grant understanding. I'm praying, Lord God, that you would uh, help me to be clear, that you would grant to both preacher and people, the help of your Holy Spirit, to take your word and apply it to our hearts for the sake and cause of your glory and your gospel. I pray and ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've seen how Paul uses military metaphors in this passage here that his readers would understand because they were very familiar with Roman legionnaires. He's using this picture of armor to show the, the spiritual equipment, and it's a key word, the spiritual equipment that God provides in Christ for his people. And so we've seen already how in verse 14, Paul begins by showing that believers can win by standing firm, by putting on a, a particular belt. And that belt that they put on is is. Christ's truth. It is the truth revealed in the broad gospel story of what God has done in creation and in spite of the fall, in redemption, and then ultimately what he will do in the restoration of all things under Christ. And we've seen how with this belt of truth, believers are to wrap up all of their lives 
And it is only after they have come to accept this truth and wrap up all of their lives with it and in it that then they're able to put on the armor. And we come this morning to our first piece of armor. And we find it at the end of verse 14. It is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Now let me remind you that all of the armor, all of the equipment that a believer has is already and completely theirs, given by Christ. It comes out of our union with Christ by faith. If I am in Christ by faith, all of this armor is already mine. And let me remind you finally that all of this armor is battle-tested and that and ready. Why? Because it is the very same armor Christ himself used in his first and great fight at Calvary. And so Paul points us first, after we've got the belt, the belt of truth on, to the breastplate of righteousness. And he says, the breastplate, effectively, the breastplate that you have in the battle is, and this is critical, the righteousness of Christ. The breastplate that you have in the battle is the righteousness of Christ. And as we look at this piece of armor that Paul presents, we, we actually find the gospel's answer to this recurring problem that you and I have, to, to our conscience's condemnation, to the law's indictment, to the vulnerability we have to the evil one who is known, as we've seen, as the one who specializes in accusing believers in order to knock them down in order to defeat them. And we're drawn, too, in this passage to three vital realities that believers can claim before the battle and in it. And, and they are these. If you're taking notes, write these down. We're pointed to the great exchange that Christ made, the total forgiveness that the Father gives, and the new identity that believers come to have. The great exchange that Christ made the total forgiveness the Father gives and the new identity that believers come to have. Now, first century Roman breastplates, I'm sure you're not an expert in those and neither am I, but I did a little research. Were made of metal strips covered front and back. And so what they did was they protected the torso. And, and they were critical because they protected the vital organs of the body in battle, particularly the heart. At one stage, and I found this fascinating, at one stage in Roman history, the Roman breastplate was called the cardiophylax. Write, write that down. Cardiophylax. No, I'm kidding. Don't worry about it. The cardiophylax which means heart guard, heart guard. So no Roman soldier would be fully prepared for battle if they didn't have on their heart guard, their cardiophallax. And so to the soldier, this, this Breastplate was worn kind of like a shirt as a primary defense in battle. To his enemies, the breastplate made it much, much harder to defeat and destroy him. The breastplate of, uh, uh, of the believer for spiritual battle is not, Paul says, a medal, but it is a righteousness. And this brings us to this first reality that believers can claim, need to claim, to be prepared and to be protected in battle. And, and that is the great exchange... Christ made. You see, righteousness is a word we, we, we hear often in Bible preaching, Bible teaching churches, righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. Often we hear the word, but we don't really understand what it means. But righteousness is actually a condition of being in a right relationship with a holy God. It is a condition. Now, uh, this is very, very important. In which our motives are right. And at the same time, our methods are right. 
Now, you know from personal experience, and I don't have a lot of time to unpack this, but you know from personal experience, because if you're a follower of Jesus, I absolutely guarantee you have done this. I guarantee you've done it. There are times when you've done the right thing in the name of Jesus for the wrong reason. You've done the right thing in the name of Jesus for the wrong reason. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I will also go on and and expose another of your sins. (laughs) And mine. Is that there have been times too when I, and, and you too, have done the wrong thing for the right reasons. We've done the wrong thing, but justified it for the right reasons. Now, this is critical because it's very hard for us sometimes to see, especially the, those, those, the, 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 it's clear to us when we do the right things for the right reasons that that's clear. And it's also clear when we do the wrong things for the wrong reasons. But where we often get tripped up is, is in these other two places. God never has that problem, ever. His motives and his methods are always in line, always in line. And that is what he requires and expects of every human being he's ever created, who's ever walked on the face of the earth. Now, of that righteousness, though, this is critical. One of the manifestations of it, it particular manifestations of it, is that when, when, when I'm walking or living with right motives and right methods, the result is I have a righteousness in my relationship with other people. I never mistreat them. I never abuse them. I never deceive them. I never lie to them. My, uh, it's always clean and clear, always clean and clear, always clean and clear, always clean and clear. God's relationship with us is always clean and clear, always clean and clear. He never does what is wrong, only what is right. Regardless of whether we can see it or not, that is always true. And so he calls his people to live in righteousness, to have a character and a conduct that is becoming like that of Christ. And, and all believers, Paul is reinforcing here, have received this righteousness. Every true believer can say what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become or have the righteousness of God himself, that we might actually have as a condition the right motives and the right methods and be treated as if we have the right motives and the right methods and be seen as if we have the right motives and the right methods. This is what theologians call the uh, imputed righteousness of Christ or the great exchange. And this is at the very heart of the gospel. And and this is so critical for us to understand that Jesus Christ was made sin by being given our sin and sinners were made righteous before God by being given Christ's righteousness. So Jesus was and is the Father's solution to the problem of our sin and our condemnation by our consciences and our indictment by his own law. He sent his son Jesus to die for sin and to give us his righteousness, and he does that if we will trust in his son. And this is what is called justification by faith. He declares us on the basis of who Jesus is not guilty. This is God's counting Jesus' righteousness as our righteousness if we trust in his son. And so by God's grace, and this is a a powerful picture, our sin record became Christ. And as a consequence of that, he died under the righteous wrath of God due to us. 
And that is why when you have a genuine encounter with a cross as a follower of Jesus, it is never first thrilling in my mind. It's always heartbreaking in my mind at first because when I come into full exposure to the cross, I'm reminded that I put him there. It was me. I don't think about you and how awful you were. That's always a distortion of the cross. If you ever go to the cross and you think that way, good night. God help you, you're missing the gospel. Uh, But it's me. And not that I'm making life about me, but it's just the reality. I, I put him there. Then I can step back and say, we put him there. But that doesn't make what I did any less. And uh, this humbles me, but then it brings great encouragement to me. Because of this great exchange, as a consequence of this, there is a total forgiveness that the Father gives. And that's the second reality that Paul points us to. There is a full forgiveness for sin, a full pardon from sin's penalty. And what that means is because I now bear before God the righteousness of Christ, it means this extraordinary future that is marked by freedom. I I am now free from all guilt for all sin for for that day when I will stand before God in end time judgment. It's coming and I know it's coming, but I've got a real good friend at the court who has slipped a word to me and said, I already know what your verdict is. And your verdict is not guilty. And so the future is something that I'm free for. I'm free for that future that is coming. It means that I'm, I'm also at the same time free from all the guilt for all the sin that marked my past. It also means that I'm free in the present knowing what the verdict is. I'm I'm liberated now. I'm not liberated from more sin because I I am free and forgiven. But when I I understand the freedom of this and and this forgiveness, what it means is that I've been set free, free for a grateful and a glad obedience. That's what it means. Obedience is the joy. Uh, Learning in the push and pull of everyday life to reflect the character and the conduct of Jesus is a joy. It's a joy to see my impatience being replaced by patience. It's a joy to come up against a temptation to deceive and choose not to deceive in the moment. The temptation to lie and choose not to lie in the moment. Because of what Christ has done for me and because of who he is making me. But it also means that when I misuse my freedom and I sin, And when I feel the frightening weight and the ugliness of my sinfulness, when I begin to wonder about my salvation and God's love, on the basis of what Christ has done for me, the Father comes to me and he says again to me, do you trust me? And he says again to me, will you trust my son? And he invites me again to cast myself on him again and to to know him as my only hope. 
And to hear him and believe him when he says, I have and I will put your sins away. I have and I will give you my righteousness. I have and I will forgive you. Even for these latest sins. My forgiveness is full. And it is in the moment of this encounter with this righteous God and this fresh appeal that he makes to me. And my willingness to step out and say, yes, Lord, I do trust you. And yes, Lord, my hope is in you. And yes, Lord, I did, I did sin I, again. But it's in that fresh encounter when I say, I do trust you. I do cast all of myself on you and all of my sin. Even this I cast on you and I repent of it. I turn from it and I, I trust you. It's in that moment that I experience the full forgiveness that is in Christ already mine. And that in itself, loved ones, is free, freedom. Because of Christ's shared righteousness, there's a third reality as well, and that is a new identity believers come to have. See, this is, this is how it works. Because believers are counted by God as righteous like Jesus in Jesus, it means that they are reconciled and restored to him. There's no fellowship between a righteous God and unrighteous people, but when we're made righteous in Christ, the, the door to fellowship is open. And so I'm reconciled to him. I was once his enemy, now I'm declared his friend. I, I was once separated and cast out, now I'm welcomed and I'm brought in. He becomes my father in Christ, and I'm made a son or you're made a daughter. And so there's this powerful picture contained right here. And this powerful reality. The believers are not who they used to be in the eyes of the one who matters most. We tend to worry so much about what others think about us, and then our, our culture teaches us to worry about what we think about ourselves, that self-esteem is the secret to the key to all of life. Good luck with that one. Good luck with that one. But if you really want to know what the secret is, the key to, to, to all of life, is to find and know the Christ God has sent. By faith receive him and his righteousness. And when you have done that, who you are is settled before the one whose eyes matter most. You're my daughter. You're my son. You're my friend. You're not my enemy. Oh, watch out. Here we go. You're my joy. You're my delight. I don't feel, I don't feel like your joy. I don't feel like your delight. When I've had one of those long days and I've yelled at the kids and eating two gallons of Briar's ice cream, and no, I have not been a good steward of my body. I don't feel like your joy. I don't feel like, you're, like I'm your delight. And God says, nevertheless, nevertheless, when I see you, I see the righteousness of my son, and you are my joy and my delight. There's a new identity that I come to have. But now here's the question. Here's the question. 
How does all of this help in spiritual warfare? I mean, what does this have to do with the battle? Well, we got a little bit of a hint, didn't we, when we said that the breastplate was sometimes called the heart guard? So let's go ahead and say what is now obvious, and that is that the righteousness of Christ is the believer's heart guard. The thing that will guard your heart the most, in fact, I'll go ahead and say it, his perfect righteousness is our best defense in spiritual battle. He guards our hearts. And how does he do it? With his righteousness. There is no vital organ. Let me, let me just go physical here for a minute. Out of the spiritual, and then we'll go back. In the, but there is no vital organ your enemy can touch. His righteousness given to us in exchange for our sin, the Father's forgiveness, our new identity in Christ. All of this is ours to live with. All of this is ours to live out and then wear and bear when the battle comes and when we do. It's vital to see that it prepares and protects our hearts for three of the devil's most effective assaults, slander, accusation, temptation. With slander, the devil attacks by calling into question God's capacity to be both holy and to have fellowship with us. With his accusations, the devil attacks by calling into question our identity, who we really are in the light of our sin. And with his temptations, the devil attacks by challenging our faith and our faithfulness. But let me unpack this further because I want to make this live in your mind. I want you very much to be prepared and protected. Slander. He attacks with slander. He calls into question God's character and capacities. Of course, devil means slanderer. You'll remember that. One who defames another with falsehood. And so Satan comes and says things like this to believers. God cannot forgive you for what you have done. He's too holy. He's too good. How can one so holy, so good, forgive someone like you? I'm telling you, when that kind of thought comes into your mind, you are under attack. Secondly, accusation. He reminds you of your past, specifically, repeatedly, deliberately. You don't even like to hear that because some of you immediately, there was something that popped right up that you're ashamed of that you don't like to think about and you're thinking about it right now. You say, thank you, pastor. Thank you so much. I thought you were here to help me, not to help my enemy. Hey, I'm just letting him be a living illustration of what I'm talking about. He shows up even in church. Did he show up for anybody in the parking lot this morning? Oh, come on, I know he did. Yeah. Locked your keys in the car. Shut the door on your leg. I don't know. He didn't make you do that. It's how you responded. He reminds you of your past specifically, deliberately, repeatedly. You'll remember Revelation 12 Satan is called the accuser of, of the brethren. And so he accuses us before God. He accuses God before us, but then he accuses us. And one of his most common and most effective accusations is in brief, you are a sinner, your sin is great, you are guilty, you are condemned, you are hopeless, you know what you've done. And the reason all of this is so powerful is that he's right. If all you and I have and all we are is ourselves as we are, he's right. 
He's right. With temptation, he says, since you've already failed, and since you're, 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 you've no real hope of, of being good enough for God, you might as well add sin to sin. And so the defeats of yesterday are used to defeat us today. He says, you're a loser, and that's all you'll ever be. You're a failure, and that's all you will ever do. And it's from these attacks that the righteousness of Christ protects believers. It provides preparation for the attacks and protection. How? Let me show you a couple of examples, can I? Because I want you to go out ready. To his slander about God's character and capacities. Christ's righteousness allows believers to prepare themselves and to be protected by saying to the enemy, you say God can't forgive me. But I know God can forgive me for all I have done. See how great the death of his perfect son offered on my behalf really is. You say he can't? Cross says he can. You say he's holy and good. And that's true. But his goodness also includes his greatness as well as his holiness. And and in Christ, his holiness was kept. And in Christ's death for me, his great love took my place. He is good. And he is holy. But in his wisdom, he found a way to make me his. You ask, how could one so holy forgive one like me? And I say to you, look again, slanderer, and see the incomparable Jesus. Let's see. To his specific, repeated, and deliberate accusations, Christ's righteousness allows us to say to the enemy, I am a sinner. My sin is great. You're right. I am guilty. I am condemned alone. I am helpless alone. I know all I've done. You are right. But I also know this. I'm not alone. I am no longer condemned. I am no longer helpless, for I have the greatest of helpers. Let me remind you of this, you accuser. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I am in Christ. I have his righteousness, not my own. By his grace, by the law of the spirit of life, he set me free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. To his temptation to sin and to sin more given the sin already done. Christ's righteousness allows believers to say to the enemy, listen, 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 in Jesus, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigns in death, grace also reigns through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. What can I say then to you, tempter? Am I? Are you serious? Am I going to continue in sin so that his grace somehow might abound? No way. This is the court's paraphrase. Romans 8. Or Romans 6. How can I who died to sin in Jesus still live in it? After all he's done for me, how can I go back? Yeah, I fell down. Yes, it was sin. Yes, it is wrong. By myself, I am condemned. By myself, I am guilty. Yes, you're right, you're right. But all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. All of us were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There is no way. I don't have to keep doing what I just did. I am not going to go back and rebuild what I had once lived my life for. I'm, I'm, no. No. I choose to do what God has given me the capacity to do, and that is walk 
in newness of life. I have a new life and a new heart. I know who I am because I know whose I am. And I have his word that no one and nothing can change who I am in Jesus, not even me. And here's what I want you to see. No spiritual protection is greater than a right relationship with God in Jesus Christ. To be justified by his grace through faith. To stand before him clothed, armored in Christ's righteousness. To be uncondemned and uncondemnable. To be accepted and welcomed as his child is the fundamental defense against the one who slanders, accuses, and tempts. And that is why believers must put on the breastplate of Christ's righteousness and keep it on by remembering what Christ has done by not losing sight of the great exchange that took place on the cross, by not losing sight of the total forgiveness that is ours in Jesus, by not losing sight of who we are, not by ourselves, but who we are in him. And so when Satan attacks with slanders and accusations and temptations, when he brings up especially his record of who you were and all you've done, I'm challenging you with the challenge of the Apostle Paul here. Remind yourself of who Christ is. Remind yourself of what he has done. Remind yourself of who you are in him, righteous. Tell yourself again and again that all the charges that really matter, the charges of a holy God against you, have all been dropped. Your penalty has been paid. Your guilt has been borne away. You are justified, declared righteous in Jesus, righteous as Jesus. And when you do, you will be ready to face the evil one in battle. And you'll be able to do what you could never do before Christ. When Satan reminds you of who you used to be, I'm going to give you a strategy. Here we go. You ready? When he reminds you of who you used to be, you in turn remind him of who he'll never be, God. And when Satan reminds you of your past, why don't you just go on on the basis of what Christ has done when he reminds you of your past, why don't you just go on and remind him of his future, hell? He's the real loser. He's the ultimate failure. You are not. You are the son or daughter of the one who is king. Don't you ever forget it. Yes, ma'am, I'm talking to you. Few learned better how to live armored up with the righteousness of God in Christ. than John Newton, a former vile, brutal slave ship captain who had a past that I would dare say nobody in this room could touch. Who came to know the saving grace of God in Christ and became a powerful, powerful preacher of the gospel and writer of hymns, most notably Amazing Grace. 
He knew what it was to be haunted. He knew what it was to be hunted by his sins from the past, the images, the memories of the things he had done and had been a part of. The story is reported that in his old age, when he could no longer read, he would have people read the word to him. And he heard someone recite the verse from 1 Corinthians 15.10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. (laughs) Oh, watch out, I could preach again. (laughs) I won't, settle down, it's okay. But when he heard that verse, he remained silent a short time and then made a powerful profession. He said, I am not what I ought to be. Ah, how imperfect and deficient. I am not what I might be, considering all of my privileges and opportunities in Christ. I am not what I wish to be. God knows my heart, knows I wish to be like him. I am not what I hope to be, but before long I will drop this clay tabernacle. I will be like him and I will see him as he is. Yet, I am not what I once was, a child of sin and slave of the devil. Though not what I ought to be, not what I might be, not what I wish or hope to be, and not what I once was, I think I can truly say with the apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. The year of his death at the age of 82, Newton said this, my memory's nearly gone, but I remember two things. that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. And when it comes to the end of life, those are the two things you and I need to know most. We'll see you through every battle. Strap on the righteousness of Jesus. with heads bowed and eyes closed. For some of you this morning, as you've come here, I'm speaking again to believers. For some of you this morning, you know what it is to be hunted and haunted by your past. It has weighed you down. It has kept you from being faithful. It has kept you down instead of standing. And I'm wondering this morning what you will do with your past. Having come to see afresh with the great exchange of Christ's righteousness for your sin. Will you not? Will you not give it to him? Will you not hear him ask you to trust him? Will you not look again at the cross 
and go on and acknowledge that it is more than enough for the sins you see, for all you've done. Will you not receive afresh the full forgiveness and the freedom that he offers to you? some here today all of your life has been a struggle with yourself and the God who created you and you've known something of his righteousness even if you couldn't put it into a word or phrase but you've had a sense of separation from the one who created you made you and perhaps you've had a sense that this living your life for yourself was not the real key to it all you've been right life only makes sense when the God of creation is at the center when there's come a healing, a restoration from Him. That healing and restoration, the forgiveness, the removal of sin, all of those things, they've come. They're facts. They're here. Jesus has won it and done it in His death on the cross. And today I invite you to trust Him with your past, your motives, as well as your methods. Today, find the righteousness only God can give and is ready to give. If you're ready to take that great step, I encourage you, meet me in the lobby. Meet one of our pastors there. Let us help you take that step of faith. Lord, hear our prayers. Know our hearts. Do what only you can do. Free your people with a fresh experience of forgiveness and to set free those still bound to self. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.